back to the past. This is Dating Ourselves, a podcast that talks everything 80s, 90s, and early 2000s. I'm your host, Adam, and I'm joined as always by my co-hosts, Brian and Paul. Hello! Hello. 59. Nice. <laughs> Gaydy. <laughs> Isn't that normally reserved for a different number on a more adult show? Um, probably. But, um, you know, I... I Guess I never really expected us to make it this far, so <laughs> <laughs> it's like we're stuck at second base. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> if you missed our last episode, you should really go back and check it out. All the way last month was it last month? How long have we it's been? been off? It's been a bit. Yeah, it was end of May. I think is when uh, when we posted our last our last real episode. Fair. Oh, dang. Well, if you get a chance, you should go back and check it out when the gang and I talked about one of the original SNL bad boys, Chris Rock. You can find that and all our past episodes at www.datingourselvespodcast.com, on iTunes, Google Music, and wherever you find your podcasts. I found mine in the toe jam between Brian and Paul's toes. Ooh, a little Does bit that... of column A, a little bit of column B. <laughs> yeah, well, one half was in Brian's and the other half was in Paul's. That's gross. Yeah. yeah, well, I mean, your the toe jam in your in your toes can only hold so much data. That's true. That's true. <laughs> well, we really appreciate our listeners' support, and we'd love to share some kind words left by one of those listeners on iTunes about our show. If you'd like to leave us a five-star review, you can leave it on iTunes or any other podcast listening platform. If you do leave us one of those reviews, we would definitely love to read it on the air as way to say thank you. So here's this week's five-star review. It's from It's Me, Charlie. It says, I'm thinking the Beanie Baby episode was one of my favorite episodes so far. Wow, that's, that's really great to hear. Thank you, It's Me, Charlie. Five-star reviews are always encouraged, and uh, be sure to tell your friends about Dating Ourselves Podcast. Well, let's get started. After taking the month of June off, we're back, baby! Let's go! Uh, This week... (laughs) Sorry, I'm really hyped. I'm ready to be back. Uh, So this week, submitted for the approval of the Midnight Society, I call this episode, Are We Afraid of the Bark? Whoops. <laughs> we forgot which way the B and D's are supposed to go. He got a little dyslexic moment. <laughs> Dang it, you guys know I'll read anything on the teleprompter. It doesn't mean I know how to spell. <laughs> well, before we get too sidetracked, let's check in with Dan at the quarantine battle bunker. Dan, how are things looking and where are you this week? Thanks, gentlemen. Currently, I'm out in the mountains of East Tennessee. Local residents have been drinking moonshine to ward off the effects of COVID-19, but have had to do so through face masks. It's a grisly sight, folks. We're hoping that things improve, but if they don't, it's really not the worst to be in the middle of nowhere. Thanks to Dating Ourselves podcast, I've been able to listen to the sultry sounds of Paul, Adam, and Brian. It's my understanding that you guys are talking about Are You Afraid of the Dark on this episode. Well, let me tell you... That thing that makes the dark most scary, especially when you're on a camping assignment, is not knowing if the leaves you're grabbing after you do your bio business are ferns or poison ivy. Anyways, back to you all in the station, or as the locals down here say, y'all. 
Well, thank you for that, Dan. And hopefully we uh, get a nice, happy conclusion to this saga. Um, In the meantime, remember, we'll pick next episode's topic at the end of the show. It's going to be Nostalgia Combat. Nostalgia Combat! That's right. It's going to be me with the music styles of TLC and Paul and the video game classic, Dr. Mario. We'll also visit our old friend, the Hopper of Imagination, to get another topic for Adam. So, Adam, tell us about the Midnight Society. All right. Well, uh, little did you know that it is a society that met at midnight. (laughs) <laughs> and the show's over. Thank you, folks. Come back next time. <laughs> All right. So uh, I have to first start off by saying I am super excited for this episode. This is probably one of my all-time favorite shows growing up. Uh, this was like an, an event for me and my family. Like, uh, Mind you, the series ran. It, it's a horror anthology series. Uh, called Are You Afraid of the Dark. It ran from 1990 to 1995 in the original run. Technically 91, but you know production started in the 90s and stuff. But uh, 90, 91 to 95, and then 99 to 2000, and then there was a recent miniseries from 2019, and then I guess it got picked up for a second series of uh, shows again, so that will be coming around again. But the... Uh, original series like i said started in about 91 which would have put us at about five years old at the time and every friday night i think it ran on me and my uh, parents would go down into our basement we had a couch and a tv down there we'd go down to the basement we'd turn off all the lights you know each of us would be under our own blanket and we'd watch this for you know the half an hour or whatever it was on it was one of my favorite memories growing up I uh, was watching this show, so I was really excited that I got to uh, do this episode. So, uh, as I mentioned, it is a horror anthology series. The premise of the show is that it was a group of teenagers that met called the Midnight Society, and they would meet in the woods uh, to tell each other scary stories around the campfire. Uh, and most of the stories that they told were based off of uh, either urban legends or fairy tales uh, that they could uh, produce for free. So obviously they weren't going to do story, you know, fairy tales or whatever that were recent that they'd have to pay for. So it was mostly like older fairy tales that they could uh, get away with. Right. What what do you call that? Um, Public domain, public domain. Public domain. Yep. 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 So uh, that was the premise of the show. So each week, one of the, teenagers from the midnight society would tell a story and sometimes it would be one person telling a story sometimes it would be uh, several of the uh, midnight society members together telling the story and sometimes like a lot of times it was just you know like a random story or something but sometimes it would also play into a storyline that they'd set up in the beginning because there would always be like a couple minutes that would bookend the show where it would show the Midnight Society meeting and they would kind of set up a little storyline with them. And then at the end, you'd see them all leaving. Um, and so sometimes it would they would actually set up little stories with the characters within the Midnight Society that the story would then have some sort of relevance to. Like, 
Um, I I was looking uh, when I was researching this, they were talking about in one episode in particular, they uh, set up a story where the younger brother of one of the characters had stolen something from the other uh, sibling. And so the story in the uh, tale that they told was specifically about a younger brother who had done something to the older brother and it guilted the sibling into giving the item that they stole back. It was a diary entry, I think. Uh, that yep, I actually in- watched that earlier today. Oh, um, nice. <laughs> yeah, it was the the tale of the water demons. Um, yeah. It, and yeah, what happens is uh, the younger brother, I think it's Gary's younger brother. I don't remember. That uh, sounds but, right. But he, he writes in this diary um the one of the girls in the midnight society that she has like a super crush on him and obviously she doesn't he just happened to write it in her diary and the diary was left unattended so when he got to the the fire pit early he like read it and was acting all weird about it um but yeah the the whole thing then led into this story about this sea captain that used to find shipwrecks and basically oh, like steal treasure and stuff like that and the the sea captain was haunted by the ghosts of that shipwreck yeah. um, and and one of the kids like they had to deliver some groceries or something to his house or something like that very fitting for uh, the covid-19 era and <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> the one kid like he's staying with his cousin or something like that and he's you know kind of a, a troubled youth and he steals like a pocket watch or gold bullion or something like that from this guy's collection and so he starts getting stalked by these these water demons as well and the the way they get rid of this problem is they have to return all the treasure back to the water and once that happens you know everything goes back to normal but but yeah um adam's absolutely right they a lot of times would find ways to um kind of um give a particular example of something and then um, use it to like teach a lesson and, and kind of theme the story around it. Um, I think there was another one with a library. Mm-hmm. Where, yeah, the um, uh, library, uh, Silence in the Library or something like that. Yeah. yeah or Quiet like, in the Library. Yeah, the tale of the silent librarian, I think, if I had to guess. Yeah. I'm yeah, looking at a list of the episodes right now. Um, or the Quiet Librarian. Yeah, and so... They uh, at the very end of the episode, there's a whole story about this creepy shit that's going on at the library. Um, <laughs> huh? Creepy shit? Are you afraid of that? Yeah, we can talk about that in more detail in just a bit because it is one of my favorite episodes. But um, but essentially, the episode ends. Every like the story's done. It goes back to the fire pit where the Midnight Society's hanging out, and the girl who's telling the story is like, "Oh, hey, you know, so I go drop some books off at the library. Does anyone want to come with me?" And everyone's just like, "Oh, geez, look at the time. Oh, I don't think I can." Oh, Oh, and she's like, are you serious, guys? Like, come on, help me out here. And as they're all leaving, kind of scared, like going back through the woods, she's like really happy with herself that she's kind of scared these guys shitless. So um. <laughs> real quick, since you um, we already kind of dove into the water demon episode or Tales of the Water People or I, I forget yep, the name mm-hmm. of it. So my two favorite things about that episode, since we've kind of already brought it up, whoever did the makeup effects for that episode was awesome. Mm-hmm. The people that yeah. come out of the water, uh, they're just kind of bland. They're not real zombie-ish per se. They look like people, but they have seaweed coming from them and they're very gray and they look waterlogged. And that's one thing that I've noticed throughout the show and I noticed it 
well, I think it still holds up today from a uh, practical effects aspect. There's a lot of things about Are You Afraid of the Dark that are cheesy, but their costumes and makeup are always spot on throughout the whole mm-hmm. series. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I think that was one thing that really made it so creepy is because the costuming and the makeup was so good, it it seemed really good for the fact that it really wasn't a high-budget show by any means. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think something that also made it, like, super creepy was the music. Because I remember oh, yeah. this used to come on, and I think maybe it must have started on Fridays, but after a while, like, um, where I typically watched it was on SNCC, so on yep. Saturday nights. Yep. And um, the intro, I remember being really, really creepy, because it's kind of like a... It's not like a sepia tone. It's more of like a blues and grays type of tone very slow motion video of like a swing moving by itself and then like shutters kind of flapping from a storm and then there's like a little kid laughing and the music is like not even really there like it's one of the the most creepy like works of composition for like a theme song because they let like the silence of the theme song yeah, that's deafening compared to the actual music. And then, like, just as they like light a match in front of the logo, there's like this little motif that's like a haunting, like I don't know, like this weird ethereal singing on kind of these dissonant intervals. And it's I don't know. And then they would do the same thing for the outro, except it was all like '90s synth with a drum beat. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it was like the same melody, but it was like up tempo and and just kind of cool, but. The, the best way to describe the singing that Brian was talking about in the intro is uh, at the very beginning of Phantom of the Opera, there's kind of this weird little, uh, I guess it would be like a synthesizer or like some sort of Hammond organ or something like that. But it's just this like weird little like do 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 do. And uh, it's just this very like ghostly like haunting sound you know they they make it uh, they had a ton of reverb on it so that it sounded very distant it wasn't like it was right in you know big in the audio it was just this kind of it was like a, a ghostly apparition in the distance singing a song or whatever so like he said you know it's this very quiet overall but then you just have this really creepy uh little vocalization in the back it was you know, really, like he said, really well done for, yeah. the, you know, less was more in that circumstance. Like having a, a big theme song, I think, would have taken away from it. Because you definitely get that like in its contemporary competitor with Goosebumps, which came out a couple years after this did. Yeah. The Goosebumps book series was very, very popular. And, and the mm-hmm. TV series to a degree was as mm-hmm. well. But I don't think it ever got nearly as popular as Are You Afraid of the Dark? Yeah. Um, and, and the theme song, like it's very like in your face, like mm-hmm. not like in your face, like, you know, Slayer, you know, in your face. But like, <laughs> but it was like, like a, a kind of a like rocky. Bum, 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 bum. Do 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 like it's very mm-hmm. like upbeat and like keeps going where this was almost like the beginning of like a really eerie music video like mm-hmm. um 
like I don't know how else to describe it. It's like when you watch those like ghost reenactment shows and they do like the little like side stories. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. And so you have like this lady talking about how she was walking into the walking into her kitchen and she heard something and everything's kind of like black and white with kind of a hint of blue and you can see like the the moon coming through the blinds and stuff. Like there's a lot of really creepy, creepy imagery without really showing anything. Um, mm-hmm. It just kind of gives you like like the hairs on your arm kind of stand on end but mm-hmm. th- there isn't really anything scary it's just a mood that it sets like you said I don't know man more. that clown in the intro <laughs> oh sit, like yeah. sitting in the attic or whatever yeah, yeah that, it's that is like creepy. a creepy clown <laughs> doll and the camera is just kind of gently swaying through this attic and nothing's really out of place and then all of a sudden it just does a brief pivot and there's just this like marionette clown standing there staring at you and mm-hmm. that still jars me to this day <laughs> yeah i i think a lot of like modern horror films uh like directors and producers and stuff like that could really learn from watching this because I feel like that intro is scarier or more, not necessarily scary, but more unsettling than most horror films today because now everything has to be so in your face and it's all about like the jump scares and stuff like that. They don't just let anything be creepy anymore. And that to me is so much more terrifying like I, I still to this day say that one of my all-time favorite horror films is paranormal activity just because unlike a lot of modern horror movies they didn't show you what the evil entity was like it wasn't like super eight where they're the whole movie they're showing this monster and stuff like that and they don't show then all of a sudden they show it it's like well that kind of killed it because now i know what it looks like and your imagination is so much creepier absolutely what they're gonna come up with so like just leaving you with these really creepy little clips and just very like quiet and unsettling music really set a mood a lot better than a lot of modern you know horror films And I think I agree with you. I do think a lot of filmmakers have taken inspiration from this. I know that um, M. Night Shyamalan, The Sixth Sense, was um, based on, inspired by The Tale of the Dream Girl, which was the episode with the boy who, the whole episode, he's being ignored by everyone except for a girl uh, who turns out to be a ghost at the end of the episode. And um, Mm, that was the inspiration for what became The Sixth Sense. And I I do think there are a lot of other movies, uh, stylized movies, that have taken inspiration from the show as far as tone and feeling. And when you think about it, The Sixth Sense, the pacing and everything, it really does feel like a long episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark at a R level. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Going back to the intro real quick, and then, I, you know, we can certainly keep moving on. Um I think the very, very first clip of the intro was just a rowboat. Yep. Sitting in the water, just rocking back and forth. Mm -hmm. If you were to set that to like some nice acoustic guitars and maybe like a flute over top of it, you could see that being like a yoga instructional (laughs) DVD, like like one of those meditation type things where you light some (laughs) incense and just find your zen. But the fact that they do it in like this really dark, shadowy kind of way and the music is kind of like a... Like a kind of like this haunting background thing that it's not even really music, but it it definitely has a pitch Mm -hmm. Um, and it kind of sways 
like the music itself sways with how the boat is rocking in the water. And then it goes from that to like the empty swing set. And that swing set to me always reminded me of the cover of Korn's self-titled album. Oh, where you yeah. have the little girl sitting on the swing set and there's this like menacing shadow like looming over her. Mm-hmm. It's that same level of discomfort. The swing set mm-hmm. just sitting there, one swing just kind of rocking. It's not like rocking like an exaggerated, like, oh, someone's sitting on it, like a ghost or something. It's just kind well, of, and, and you can someone hear was playing like, here recently and now nobody is. Why? Where did they go? And you can it's kind, of, kind of hear like the wind rustling a little bit and the chain creaking. So it's just one of those, like, it's like in a horror film where you'd be walking through a park and you'd hear that and the character would be looking around like, what's going on? Like that moment to build tension for the audience mm-hmm. uh, so i think we should talk uh next about the actual midnight society and kind of how they would set up the stories and stuff so yeah uh, the midnight society like we said was a group of teenagers um there's been so far three different midnight societies uh the first one is probably the most notable uh the characters were gary uh, Betty Ann, Kiki, Frank, Tucker, Samantha, Kristen, David, Stig, uh, and no, not the one from the uh, Top Gear from <laughs> Top, Top Top Gear, Gear, as far as I know. Yeah, some <laughs> he, say <laughs> on his favorite oh. shirt is a picture of a shirt, <laughs> and in his wallet he keeps a picture of a wallet. All we know is he's the Stig. <laughs> how, how great would that be, though, if they're like telling these horror stories? And then all of a sudden they cut to just someone wearing like the racing gear, like the <laughs> the, the the overalls and the helmet. He's just sitting there, <laughs> looking like uh, a bad so, guy from Speed Racer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> never moves, never makes any noise. Just they cut to him, and he's just sitting there motionless in front of the camera. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so uh, Stig and then Eric was the last character. And so each episode, they would kind of take uh, turns telling a tale, and each person would have to bring a story. And then to set up the story, they would kind of do a little blurb intro kind of thing. And then the famous line that they would give was, Submitted for the approval of the Midnight Society. I call this tale, and then they would give the name of the episode, and then they would sprinkle magic dust on the flames, and the flames of the campfire would get bigger, and you'd have the name of the episode in like these creepy letterings inside of the flame. So something I thought that was so brilliant with the show, um, that it almost gave it <laughs> almost like a fight club type feel in my mind. Um is that the very first episode, which I think was the tale of the Phantom Cab, they oh, yeah. start the episode and Gary is introducing everybody, you know, basically like what the premise of the show is. And then one of the other kids comes and has, who ends up becoming a, another cast member. I want to, I can't remember which one he is. He's the guy was who it, looks uh, like... Tucker? Daniel DeSanto? Might he be. came on later. It's it's whoever looks like Slater. I mean, this would have been in the very first episode. He looks like <laughs> Slater from Saved by the Bell. Um, I can't think yeah, of I what think his that name was is. Him. But they bring him back there blindfolded because none of these kids go to school together. They aren't friends with one another. Nothing like that. But they've all like just learned about this secret society that meets in the woods like once a week to tell ghost stories. 
that was like the coolest thing as a kid. Because I, I think I started watching the show when I was like seven or eight. It's like, how mm-hmm. cool would that be if like someone at school just approached you and was like, hey, man, I got this thing going on Saturday night, but you can't tell anybody where we're going. Do you want to come? Like they would be such a cool thing to be part of. And they had to take them back there blindfolded because it's a secret location. Nobody knows where it is. And they all had to unanimously vote whether he got to be part of the Midnight Society or not. And obviously his story was really good. So everyone gave him a thumbs up and he could stay. Um, But yeah, what a neat idea to like initiate somebody into this gang. But the idea behind the gang is that you just scare the shit out of each other instead of beat the shit out of each other. Um, so <laughs> the premise of the show and the way you like what you were talking about, like it does sound like such a cool premise, but when you just described it just now as an adult, I'm thinking, Jesus, that sounds like somebody's about to get murdered. Like, Hey, you want to come hang out in the woods at midnight on a Saturday? <laughs> I got some right. buddies. It's going to be real cool. <laughs> sounds like the setup to like a satanic, uh, ritual where they end up sacrificing the new guy. Oh yeah, well it wouldn't the work. The first rule of Midnight Society is we don't talk about Midnight <laughs> Society. Right. <laughs> and and the thing is, is like it wouldn't be able to work nowadays because um, oh, like yeah. you'd be there for like ten minutes and then all of a sudden like your mom would be calling like, "Honey, when are you going to be home? You were supposed to be home an hour ago." <laughs> mom, <laughs> mom's, mom's trying to FaceTime. Why is it so dark where you're at? Where are you? Get home now. When I was watching this show with my wife in preparation for talking about it, one of the things that we talked about was, so here's a whole bunch of, you know, teenagers, preteens, teenagers in the woods on a Saturday night in the dark, and nobody seems to care where they are. And today, that absolutely would not fly. But I can tell you, in the 90s, when I was young... I would just be like, hey, I'm going to Brian's, and mm-hmm. if I didn't come home, or I shouldn't say if I didn't come home, but if I was, as long as I was home by 1030, nobody questioned mm-hmm. it. And I think that that's kind of just a societal change of that's how it was when we were kids. We didn't yeah. have internet. We went outside and ditched it. Right, yeah. right. Oh, yeah. I was actually I mean, talking with my wife about that the other night, because we were sitting on our back deck, and the lights came on in our neighborhood. And I was like, well, well, we got to be got to be inside in the next five minutes. She's like, what are you talking about? It's like, you didn't have that rule. It's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And that was like legit. Like you could really go anywhere in the neighborhood you wanted to, especially during summer vacation. But the minute the lights came on, like you, you got to be back home. Like you got five minutes wherever you are. That, that, that game of street hockey, that, that, you know, biking you're doing in the woods, whatever it is done be home in five minutes you know and that was it there was no questions there was no discussion you know they might ask you where you've been and you might tell them but beyond that like it wasn't like it is now i remember a couple years ago in this area there were two kids that were walking to the park in uh, one of the maryland suburbs of dc and unaccompanied by adults they were like eight and ten years old and it was like a huge month-long regional story about you know whether or not these parents should still have custody of their kids and things like that because they're just letting them wander the streets by themselves and it's like give me a break like they went to the park (laughs) yeah i even heard a story one time where uh the police got called on a lady because she was letting her kids play in the front yard unattended like they yeah. were just hanging out like we used to do that all the time. Like, you know, go out and you're playing, you know, baseball or football or something in the front yard and your parents are inside or somewhere else in the yard doing yard work and stuff. It's just how it was. 
If it was a nice sunny day, I was on my bicycle and I was anywhere but home. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. It was a crap day, though. We had a Nintendo 64 in my room, so. Heck yeah. <laughs> so we were avoiding the rain and, and playing lots of Goldeneye and Turok Dino Hunter. Oh, so. Turok. Nice. Can't wait to talk about that one on the show. <laughs> I know. So, um, so then once they submitted the uh, story, the person is essentially telling the story, but you're actually seeing the story play out uh, when when they did that. And so you're seeing whatever, you know, urban legend or uh, whatever fairy tale or version of the fairy tale that they came up with for that week. Uh, and, and sometimes, as we mentioned, there'd be a lesson behind it. Sometimes there wouldn't be. Uh, but a lot of times they would have some sort of lesson that was supposed to be learned. So, uh, do you guys, uh, there's a couple things I wanted to talk about. Uh, one would be, uh, recurring characters and one would be, uh, the, like episode, some of the episodes or some favorite episodes. Would you guys rather talk about, uh, recurring characters first or episodes? I'm good either yes. way. Yeah, I'm good either way. The only thing I was going to say is since we've kind of talked about the motifs of the show, Another observation that I just want to bring up real quick, because it's kind of related to the Water People episode that we talked about. Oh, yeah. Is one thing throughout the show that has always bothered me is the parents are always super fake. Yeah, yeah. Throughout oh, yeah. the entire run. It's like the kids are generally better actors than the parents. And I don't necessarily mean adults. I mean, specifically, always the parent <laughs> of the main character of the episode. <laughs> and going back to the Water People episode, um, in the beginning of the episode, the troubled brother that's always getting in trouble. I remember in the beginning of the episode, his dad comes in and he goes, OK, you got to turn the lights out and go to sleep. And he's like, he's like, no, I'm not going to bed yet. And he's like. My house, my rules. You want to sleep under this roof? It's lights out. If you don't, go somewhere else. And he just gets up and gets on his bike and starts driving or riding away in the middle of the night. And his parents <laughs> yeah. are like, oh, well. All right. And then he tells, like, the other brother or the cousin or whoever the other kid is. Because he's like, dad. He's like, ah, he'll be back. He just got to cool off a bit or something. I was like, <laughs> okay. Bye. <laughs> we'll see how that works out. There's another episode I was watching, too, where, like, it was the stereotypical sisters taking forever to get ready before school and dad's like in his robe, uh, holding his glasses in his hand. He's like, Stephanie, you've been in there for 20 minutes or whatever. And then she comes out and then like the brother, who's like the main character in the show, sneaks into the bathroom like as she's leaving and the dad's just standing there. And he's like, oh, man, what's going on? And then he puts his glasses on. And it's like all like, like <laughs> pissed off walking down the stairs. And it's like. It was the worst acting I've ever seen. <laughs> like, the the like, actors that they got to play the children were probably motivated to do well because they wanted to get a career in it. Whereas the people that got hired as the parents, they probably had like a casting call. Like, are you at the end of your rope when it comes to acting? Do you want to just get a job because you can't get anything else? Come phone it in on this show. Yeah. You don't want to move to New York or to uh, L.A.? Yeah. Do these auditions in Hamilton, Ontario. <laughs> but it's just kind of funny because... It's it's there have been a lot of a great adult actors on the show and some reoccurring characters that are excellent. It's always specifically the parents and the teachers. Oh, the yes. teachers are, that are really just bad. like the worst. 
Yeah. Like just <laughs> just such stupid like stereotype teachers like, oh, you're running late to class, I see. <laughs> oh, you sit down. You're still talking. Da, da, da. It's like, God, so annoying. <laughs> no wonder people have issues with teachers these days. <laughs> yeah. It's all because of our we raised. dark. That's right. That's right. <laughs> my my uh, view of teachers was formed by a 1990s Canadian TV show, which uh, actually, when I was researching this show, I don't think I ever realized it was a Canadian production. So I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Nickelodeon shows are. Okay, yeah, that that's true. Makes sense. Yeah, because wasn't a, you can't do that on television, also Canadian? I think so. Yep. I'm pretty sure. It's still on there, too. Yeah. So I did not realize it when it was airing, but as I was watching it for the last few days, oh my gosh, there is nobody that says sorry. Everyone says sorry. Everybody. <laughs> like, it is so, so Canadian. Um, that's awesome. Like, it's like things I never even noticed as a kid, but like as I'm watching it now, it's it was the same thing when we watched um, Teen Wolf. It's like I had no idea how Canadian Michael J. Fox was uh, until watching that movie. Because when he's <laughs> Marty McFly, he doesn't sound anything like that. He sounds like a California boy. Yeah. But but in that movie, it's like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> so Edmonton. <laughs> oh, man. So um, I guess what we'll do, since just because it's on my list first... Uh, is talk about reoccurring characters. So most of the episodes, as we mentioned, uh, it's mostly an anthology series, meaning that each episode is a completely standalone episode with occasional exception. Uh, but even though it's an anthology series, there are characters that do pop up throughout the series. The first one, and probably the most famous, and one of my favorite characters in the show, is the owner of Magic Mansion, and that oh, is... Sardo. Sardo. <laughs> yes, it's, it's Sardo. No Mr. Accent on the dough. <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, he was he was a character that was usually the kind of instigator of the episode uh, in the episodes that he appeared. So as we mentioned, he owned the Magic Mansion, which was a magic shop. And generally, he would be the one that sells the item that ends up being the major plot point in that particular episode, um, whether it be like these glasses we'll talk about later in one of the episodes um, or uh, something along the lines he'll be the one to sell it and he's always kind of uh, playing the customer you know so it's like oh I don't think I could sell you that and he kind of tries to like con him and you know into buying yeah. it and stuff like that increase the allure you know yeah yeah so like oh yeah. no 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 you couldn't you couldn't uh, handle that it's like it's too it's you too wouldn't much. possibly be interested in that mm -hmm. i have way more interesting things like this really dull thing like no no tell me more about this thing you say <laughs> i won't like mm -hmm. oh by no means he was such a strange strange man um and there's usually something in it for him you yep. know yep Oh, and like they cast he would get like a reward from like who the villain ends up being. Like they, you know, they would pay him for whatever for like getting this off their hands or yeah, something. Yeah, yep. Yeah, and they cast the character perfectly. Like the guy, I can't remember his name. I had it up a little bit ago and I forgot to write it down. Uh, but he, it's uh, Richard Dumont. Yes, Richard Dumont. Yes, uh, but he was this kind of like he would always wear these very eighties clothes. 
He had uh, kind of the receding hairline, like real short hair, kind of a weaselly face and stuff. So he looked very much like a guy who was going to try to con someone out of money and and try to get them to buy something that they shouldn't be buying. Uh, It's like if John Lovitz had a cousin that owned a pawn shop. Yes, that is a perfect (laughs) way to describe him. (laughs) I can see it. (laughs) Uh, So he was one of the characters. Uh, Another one was Dr. Vink. Uh, I am not a nutbag. (laughs) And that's Vink with a va, va, va. Not Fink. I am not a nutbag. I'm not a nutbag. (laughs) Uh, So he was a character that often was like a mad scientist, sorcerer kind of character that popped up throughout the show. Um, The other, uh, the next one, uh, which was probably one of my favorite reoccurring characters, it's a toss up between Sardo and, uh, sorry, Sardo. Uh, and this character is Zebo the Clown. Um, so he was a character that initially premiered in Tale of Laughing in the Dark, which was like episode three or four of the show. I'll get into the, his storyline a little bit more later. Mm-hmm. But uh, basically his character is this clown that haunts a haunted house kind of, you know, like one of those, like the county fair type haunted houses where you just kind of yeah. walk through and there's scary stuff in the, um, you know, like the Hall of Mirrors or whatever. And he haunts that. There's like a dare that the kids of the town are supposed to go and take his nose. Well, if you actually take it, he'll come and chase after you to get his nose back and stuff. But it's a really interesting character, especially for a kid show. Like kind of how they promote his story and stuff like that is really interesting. So I'll get more into that later when we talk about our favorite episodes. Zebo and uh, Dr. Vink are the same actor. Oh, yeah. Uh, Aaron Taggart, right? I know it was Aaron something. That sounds right. I'm not Ta- positive. It's, it's, yeah, Taggart, ta- Taggart, something like that. Um, yeah. He looks kind of like a, um, oh, what's his name from uh, from Harry Potter? I can't think of what oh, his name Hagrid? is now. Hagrid. He I looks said like Hagrid. the exact same thing to like my Hagrid. wife when we were watching it. I was like, he's like a 90s Hagrid. <laughs> <laughs> he's like two foot shorter than Hagrid, but you know. <laughs> yeah, still. Um, so then the last major reoccurring character was the ghastly grinner. Uh, he, his catchphrase was, how about a smile? But... Uh, he would always sounds like cat calling if you ask me. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, but he he was weird. He kind of looked like an evil jester with a cape. So he had like a spandex suit that was yellow and blue with a jester's hat that was also yellow and blue, and then like a yellow uh, outside blue inside cape. Uh, yeah, he was weird. I uh, I'm not sure how. I'm still not sure how I felt about that character. The other three I really liked. Ghastly Grinner was always kind of a toss-up for me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so are, are there any other characters that you guys uh, liked from the show, or uh, any of those characters you in particular liked from the show? I loved um, Dr. Vink. He was always my favorite. Nice. He was an interesting character. One of my favorite episodes, I suppose we'll cut into favorite episodes at some point soon, um, was the two-part uh, tale of Cutter's Treasure. Yes. Um, and both Dr. Vink and Sardo are both 
in that episode um, <laughs> or in that two-part episode, I should say. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's really funny because they get together at the end of the episode and the kid is like, I don't know who you are, but I'm never going to forget you or something like that. And it's kind of funny because, you know, it's season four and these characters have already had multiple appearances in multiple episodes. It's not quite breaking the fourth wall, but it's kind of a nod that like, yep, these things are all like disparate, but they're all occurring in the same universe too. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Um, so before we get into favorite episodes and stuff like that, one other thing I want to talk about was, uh, you know, for each of these episodes, because it's an anthology series and it ran for as many years as it did, you have to have a lot of actors and actresses come through the show because you can't use the same ones over and over again. Um, and so I went through and uh, kind of looked at uh, various actors that were part of either the Midnight Society or part of the um, actual, like, the storyline, the characters from the storyline. And surprisingly, a lot of pretty big names, uh, you know, came up through that show. Um, so I'll just go through, and some of them I'll kind of mention, like, because some of them are, like, char- people that you would maybe not necessarily know by name, but you'd know characters that they played or TV shows that they were on. Um, so the first one, one of the, um, I think he played, I want to say he played Eric. I could be wrong. Uh, but the first one I found for the Midnight Society was Jacob Tierney, who I don't know if he's really had a lot of acting credits, uh, that have been really big, but he is the co-creator with Jared Kiso of one of the best, uh, Canadian comedies on TV right now, Letter Kenny. Uh, out, <laughs> outside of Shit's Creek, I'd say this is probably the funniest uh, ca- Canadian series on TV right now. If you've never watched it before, I cannot recommend it more highly. It's on uh, Hulu, and it's just, I mean, each episode is just kind of short little stories within the this town of Letterkenny, and it follows a couple characters, uh, the, the main character and his sister and friends, and it's it's brilliant the writing on it is so good um so he's on it he is he's uh again one of the midnight society members uh later in the uh, series one of the midnight society members was alicia cuthbert who you might remember as uh the president's daughter in 24 she was an old school she's been on the ranch and a whole bunch of other stuff um, oh yeah, yeah. She was uh, she was a little later in the series. I think she maybe might have been in the second uh, Midnight Society group. Um, the next one I found was Joanna Garcia, who was uh, Maggie, the girl next door on How I Met Your Mother. It was like this character that Ted had been in love with his whole life. She was on Freaks and Geeks, Boston Public, and more recently Once Upon a Time. Uh, you had Rachel Louise Blanchard who played uh, Cher, which was Alicia Silverstone's character, on the Clueless TV series, and she also was more recently on Fargo. Um, Emily Hampshire, Mm -hmm. who, as I mentioned, Schitt's Creek a minute ago, being one of the funniest comedies on TV right now, she plays the uh, owner of the motel, Stevie Budd. Uh, Absolutely hysterical on that show. so th- and she's like the the neighbor girl uh, in one of the episodes. I think it's actually mm-hmm. in the the Cutter's Treasure episodes. I think you're um, right. Yeah. Yep. 
yeah, she's the girl next door that he keeps trying to make out with, and his little brother keeps saying, like, I have a haunted telescope. <laughs> Come on, man, you're screwing my game up with this chick. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Uh, Nev, Nev Campbell was on the show, too. Yes, yeah, so uh, Nev Campbell, Ryan Gosling, and Gilbert Gottfried were actually in the same episode of the show. Yep. Uh, Melissa Joan Hart Melissa was Joan in Hart. an episode. Yep. Uh, um Bobcat Goldthwait was in an episode. Yes, yeah, he yep. was. So was Hayden Christensen, also known as Anakin Skywalker, although we'll try to forget that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> quick question, quick question. I feel like one of you probably does a good Bobcat impression, and I would love to hear it if I may interject oh, for a gosh. minute. Oh, uh, gosh. Man. Uh, I'm trying to, like... Give me a minute to come up with a line. I'll see if I can find an old, like a line from one of his old movies or something that I can remember. How how I'm going to come back to this. I'm going yeah. to hold you to this. Okay. Will Friedel was also on this. So was he um, really? Eric Matthews from uh, Boy Meets World. Yep. Um, so he was in a few different episodes, I think, and always different characters too. It was not like he came back as the same character. So. Um, same thing with Emily Hampshire. I feel like she was on like two or three episodes. Yeah, um, I think they and did. Most of them I haven't seen in years, but I think they did yeah. reuse a lot of actors and actresses when they could. Who's the actor that plays Gary? And has he been anything in anything notable? He always looks really familiar to me, but I can never place him. Uh, hold on, I'll look that up real quick. Um, uh, I think it was Gary the main one. Yeah, yeah. I th- he was like, like the longest running Midnight Society he, guy. I, I did look that up earlier. I don't know if he was in much else, but he ended up becoming like a Canadian weatherman. <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. He does look like he would be on a local news station, so it makes yeah. sense. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And only you can prevent forest fires. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, earlier in the episode, we mentioned that there was the episode uh, later in the season or later in the series where uh, they introduced a new character by having him blindfolded and came in uh, and, uh, you know, had to tell the story or whatever, and he got approved. Uh, that char- that actor was Daniel DeSanto, who was Jason from the movie Mean Girls, which was Gretchen's boyfriend. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Oh, that's funny. Yep. And then uh, Emily Van Camp was in an uh, episode called The Tale of the Silver Light, uh, you might know her from Revenge and The Resident and a few other shows on TV. I think she might have maybe been uh, got famous on Parenthood, the TV show. Um, mm-hmm. I forget. Um, and then Tia and Tamara Mori, uh, Mori or Maori, whatever their name was, the two like they they had that. Uh, what was that show called on uh, that they had? It was the two identical twin sisters. Sister, 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 sister. That's right. Yeah. Uh, so they were in the Tale of the Chameleons, uh, which was a creepy episode. And then uh, Jay Baruchel uh, was in an episode called The Tale of Dead Man's Float. Um, he was the one that was in, like, She's Out of My League, Tropic Thunder, um, The End of the World. Uh, like The dragon movies they've made a yeah, thousand of. Yeah, kids yeah, yeah. Love. How to Train Your Dragon. How to Train Your Dragon. Yep. <laughs> How to Lose a Dragon in 20 Days or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, goodness. So, um, yeah, so, I mean, kind of impressive. Uh, it's a kind of who's who of Canadian actors and actresses that made their way through the show. And I'm sure there's a lot more. Um, and it's been a lot of years since I've seen the, the show. But, 
I mean, still, that's an impressive list just with even that little, you know, list there of the 10 or 15 or whatever. Yeah. Well, especially because a lot of these these childhood actors, like, they didn't really have, like, they weren't like Macaulay Culkin, you know? Yeah. They weren't, like, in huge things, but they've gone on to, in many cases, do some pretty major things. Right. And like it's, I- it's funny to think about, like, oh, okay, Emily Hampshire being on, like, literally one of the most beloved, you know, sitcoms in current memory with, with Schitt's Creek. Yep. Um, started off as being, you know... The, the nervous girl who wanted to make out on a couch. Yep. Um, <laughs> well, even <laughs> like... A, my place, a cre- Saturday night? Yeah. yeah, right, exactly. But there was a haunted telescope. <laughs> yeah. Even though, like, Ryan Gosling, like, he obviously has blown up. Like, he went from, you know, uh, being on this show to then being on... Uh, what, what show was he on after that? Uh, was he on Goosebumps as well? He might have been. I me. don't know. He was he was offered a role in the Midnight Society, and he opted uh, to take a role on the Mickey Mouse Club mm-hmm. when they revamped that. And I'm glad he was in, you know, the Tale of the Station 109 or whatever. Yeah, but I think it would have been cooler. I would have had a lot more respect for him if he had uh, been part of the Midnight Society than the Mickey Mouse Club. <laughs> well, I don't know because uh, when he. Uh, he moved to Florida, I think it was, to uh, be in the Mickey Mouse Club. And obviously his parents lived in Canada, so he needed a like a host family. And do you know who his host uh, family was? Please be Hulk Hogan. Please be Hulk Hogan. It was Justin Timberlake. Whoa. Yeah. So those two are like really good friends. Well, it makes and, sense. They were both on the Mickey Mouse Club. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It does make sense. Yep. Yeah, so, uh, but crazy to think that he went from that to being, like, a really, really well-respected actor. Like, he's done some amazing roles from, what's the one about, like, House of a Thousand Pines or whatever that one is. and uh, La La Land. La La Land and, uh, oh, and How Could You Forget, uh, the movie that I have never seen and still refuse to see, The Notebook. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a fine movie. <laughs> you know, it's not that I have anything necessarily wrong with the movie itself. It's just I worked at the movie theater when that movie came out. And for months, I had to endure everyone telling me how amazing it was and how I had to see it. And I just kind of never saw it out of spite. And now I'm just kind of too dug in to ever see it. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Oh, <laughs> uh, So anyway, um... So let's get into favorite episodes then, because we've talked a lot about the setup and stuff like that. So what are some of your favorite uh, episodes and and like, a, you know, brief synopsis or brief memory of it or why it was so memorable to you? Not everybody at once. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess I, can, I guess I can go first. So I know we've talked about this a little bit already, but one of my favorites is a two part episode, The uh, Tale of Cutter's Treasure. So just kind of at a high level. So the episode is about this treasure-hungry, money-hungry pirate, um, and he kills this guy 200 years ago or something like that, and before he dies, he, like, curses him to live forever or have to guard the treasure forever or something like that. And then you fast forward to, like, present day, and you have the main character. It's like a 12-year-old boy, 
and he really wants to uh, make out with Emily Hampshire. Um, <laughs> and his parents are going to go on this three-day biking trip somewhere in the woods, and they have this like really old lady babysitter that's going to be watching them, and he and his brother kind of trick her into not doing it. Um, they say that the kids have measles or something, pretending to be the parents. And so it's just him and his little brother at home. So he invites this cute girl over and he's trying to, you know, get his get his game going. And his brother's like, well, the only way that's going to happen, um, and I'm not going to be an obnoxious little brother, is if you go down to the magic shop owned by Sardo. Sardo! And, um, and buy me like this magic set or something like that. So as he's buying the magic set, he's leaving and he's like, well, can I get you anything else? Perhaps a love potion or a popularity potion or whatever. And <laughs> and as he's leaving, he sees by the door that you win a prize if you can open this like treasure chest and no one's been able to open it. And he goes over on the first try and opens it. And, you know, the prize is the shit that's inside. So it's like a dagger and something else. I think it was a compass and then uh, what and do you the, call the, the telescope. pirate telescope? Yeah. There's a, there's a term for it, right? Uh, the the uh, sexton? Maybe. A spyglass? Spyglass. I'll go with that. Astrolabe. <laughs> I think it's an astrolabe. Or no, I think the sextant might be right. I think an astrolabe is something else. I don't um, know. It's one of those two. E- I know it's Either way, <laughs> he, he gets this stuff home and he thinks that the glass is broken or whatever in the telescope. He's like, "Ah, you can just play with it, little brother." And the, I got this got this date coming over, and I don't. I want you to leave me the hell alone. And, and of course, the telescope starts rolling around on its own. At one point, a skeleton hand comes out from under his bed and tries to pull him under the bed and kill him. And of course, you know, this horny twelve year old is like, "Dude, you are really messing up my Saturday night. Like, you really need to stop it." And you know, of course. <laughs> He's being mean to his little brother, which is not impressive to uh, Emily Hampshire, so she leaves. Um, and then the little brother gets kidnapped by ghost pirates, basically. Um, and it's an interesting episode. So Sardo is in it, as I mentioned. Um, and then the whole reason that Sardo even had this thing in the first place is Dr. Vink uh, gave it to him and was going to make him rich if he could find out the person who opened it because he was going to pay him $5,000, which don't get me wrong, $5,000 would certainly be awesome, but I don't know if you would necessarily consider yourself to be rich just because you had $5,000 more than you currently do. Um, You kind of would (laughs) already have to be rich if $5,000 was the breaking point. But anyway, um, Dr. Vink is trying to help him get his brother back and it's like a all-out brawl between him and this pirate who's, you know, uh, Captain Cutter. He got his name because he loves the sight of blood. Um, And what he finds out is that he's like an ancestor of the guy that cursed him, you know, 200 years ago. And he can make things right and even the score and, you know, kill Cutter, but he decides not to. And he, like, breaks the dagger instead. And then the whole tomb or wherever where all the treasure is kept blows up. And he has to escape with his brother, and we don't know what happens, but we know that um, there could still be a Captain Cutter under the ground in this cemetery watching this treasure. <laughs> and uh, but yeah, it's a it's an interesting story. The acting I think is really, as far as a lot of these shows go, I think overall the acting is really good. Mm-hmm. Um, when I saw Emily Hampshire in it, I was like, "Is that?" And I had to look it up. Of course, it is. <laughs> Well, and me and me and Paul had the exact same mistake with this episode for decades. 
I've been under the impression that uh, the captain in that episode was played by uh, who did we say, Paul? Oh. Forrest Whitaker. I thought it, Forrest I thought Whitaker, it was yeah. Forrest Whitaker because he has makeup on his face and he has an eye that is half shut and it's all makeup and they're similar body type and he's got a lot of the same mannerisms. Mm-hmm. And um, not saying that Forrest Whitaker always talks like a pirate, but you know he's got that kind of like slow drawl. Yep. And. Um, I always thought it was Forrest Whitaker, and then, yeah, I looked it up, and it's um, Charles Dutton. Yep, yep. Who looks nothing like Forrest Whitaker with the makeup off. Yeah. I was going to say, I think that's the, makeup, the big part, is yeah. they kind of wanted to make it look like a like a pirate injury, so they made his eye kind of sunken and whatever, like, like he should be wearing an eye patch or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I remember when I first saw, like, because the first movie I ever remember hearing of Forrest Whitaker was the last king of um, Scotland. Scotland, Yeah, the last king of Scotland. And I remember looking at that and I, I remember thinking, oh, that's the dude from Are You Afraid of the Dark? So I've been laboring under this pr- uh, presumption for something like 15, 20 years at this point. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And I just found out like t- a couple days ago that it wasn't him. <laughs> I just came to the realization when I was watching it this week with my kids that um, it was Dr. Vink who paid Sardo to uh, put the chest in his shop. For whatever reason, when I watched it when I was a kid, I thought it was Cutter that put the chest there. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, and I it, don't know why, but I've been I've been living a lie these past <laughs> 20 years. So Dr. Vink, yeah, Dr. Vink does not make an appearance until the second... Uh, second episode in the little mini sewed thing. So when they introduce this character, it's literally from like the shoulders down and he's wearing like a vest and you can't really tell who he is. Um, so, I mean, it, it's definitely plausible as to why you wouldn't know who put the chest there. I think they kind of leave it that way on purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the second episode, he goes to this barber shop to like figure out what's going on and how he can help his brother. Cause the, the police don't believe him and stuff like that. And it turns out it's Dr. Vink's barber shop and he makes unusual ointments and unique, whatever <laughs> it's like, and That's, I am not a nutbag. Yeah. <laughs> he just has a, the brain of a wild boar, you know, just hanging out on a shelf. But um, another episode I really liked was the tale of the renegade virus. I really, <laughs> really liked it as a kid because I was always into like video games and video game design and things like that. And the whole idea behind the episode is that there's this kid that's a major jerk to his best friend. Um, like he stole his bike one day because um, his was had a broken. Flat tire. Or, yeah, had a flat tire. That's what it was. Um, and like he's just being a total jerk to this kid. And he changed the lock on his locker so he couldn't get into his locker. And then he ended up being late to class. All, you know, and he's like, oh, yeah, you know, payback's a bitch, basically. And uh, what ends up happening is like the science teacher at the school is working on a virtual reality program. And it's like a giant, like, mixing bowl on his head, like the type you'd serve an egg salad in. (laughs) Um, And, like, two iPods in front of his eyes. He's supposed to be, like, going to be a night of the round table. That's supposed to be what the virtual reality uh, 
uh, game is going to do. And instead, it takes him back to his house and his parents have all disappeared. And there's this strange little guy. He's like dressed up almost like the aliens from From Mars Mars Attack. I was going to say the same thing. I got this huge brain on top of his head, but he's all silver. Um, And he's a computer virus. But um, his goal is to no longer be a computer virus and hack into the main character's brain. Um, and we find out that the the other kid who's being picked on this whole time did this on purpose, but then like the virus gets out of control beyond what he had expected it to do and things like that. Watching it now in 2020, it's just laughably terrible um (laughs) it's just so bad but um when i was a kid i thought it was so cool and so interesting and and so scary that like a computer virus could potentially enter your body and remove you from the real world and things like that there's the way that he's going to enter his body is like he somehow gets like one of those old school printer ports in his palm (laughs) he's gonna like connect a cable into him like it's it's just ridiculous um and then the last episode I wanted to mention as one of my favorites was The Tale of the Phantom Cab, the very first episode oh, ever, yeah. Yeah. Um, which has an appearance with with Dr. Vink as well. Um, it's two brothers get lost in the woods and they come across this guy that's like, oh, yeah, I'll help you. I'm going to bring you to the good doctor's house and he'll be able to help you. Do you all like riddles, by the way? They go to the Dr. Vink's house, which they're thinking this doctor's house, if he's got like a cabin in the woods, it's going to be like a nice place. And it's like a hobbit hole, basically. They go in and he has to solve these riddles and they solve the first one and the second one stumps the little brother and, and the big brother's like a doofus and he's angry and doesn't want to play. And he's like, well, do whatever you want, but you can walk up this path and eventually when you get to the main road there'll be a cab that picks you up and the cab driver ends up being that guy they initially saw in the woods that Mm -hmm. brought them to the doctor's house. And it turns out that he's actually a ghost and every single night he drives the same route and every time the people get that riddle wrong, he kills them. He drives them into a tree and then they die and they stay with him in you know a miserable eternity of limbo or whatever. And then the kid ends up figuring the riddle out. Do you guys remember the riddle? I I don't. I remember the episode but i don't remember the riddle it's something about um what is weightless it can be seen with the naked eye and when you put it in a barrel the barrel becomes lighter helium nope because you can't see helium oh good point uh i don't hole oh (laughs) And the kid figures it out like mere seconds before they crash into this tree and explode and die. Um, and then, you know, a park ranger comes and picks them up. But that's the episode where um, the one kid has to, that's his initiation story. And everyone at the Midnight Society approves. They, they think it's a kick-ass story. So yeah. he gets to join the Midnight Society and, and he's there for another like five or six seasons, I think. So nice. pretty cool. Nice. Pretty cool. Uh, Paul, favorite episodes? Well, uh, we covered um, most of them. The virus one was one of my favorites, but probably my all-time favorite episode is The Tale of the Pinball Wizard. Oh, yeah. Yep. So The Tale of the Pinball Wizard is about a kid that uh, he hangs out at this guy's repair shop, which is in a mall. Do you guys remember when malls had repair shops? Yes. I do, yeah. There's actually some around here that still do. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. 
I guess it's uh, as things are going out of fashion, they come back again because, you know, now you have to get your VCR repaired. You can't just buy a new one. So yeah, right, true. right. You need a repair <laughs> shop again. But um, so, so, so hang- Tommy, the deaf, dumb, blind kid, right? Yeah. Yeah. The pinball so wizard. So Tommy yeah. hangs out in the uh, <laughs> repair shop where the uh, the store owner has a whole bunch of pinball machines and he just sits and plays pinball all day and he's always begging the owner for a job. And finally, the owner says, okay, look, I'm leaving to go have lunch because it's almost three and I haven't been able to shut down. If you watch the store for an hour, you don't play the new game in the back and you don't break anything, then maybe I'll give you a job. Well, that's just setting him up to fail. If you say, don't play the game in the back, he's obviously so bef- gonna. So before the shop owner even, um, like, he walks out the door, and he hasn't even, like, made it around the corner yet, and you hear the music from the pinball game start up in the back, like, as he's rounding the corner, and he just kind of smiles to himself and walks away. And shortly thereafter, uh, a young girl walks in um, asking if her music box is ready because she had dropped it off to be repaired. And he's like, I I don't actually work here. I'm just watching the shore. I really don't know. You'll have to come back in an hour. And um, he goes back to playing the pinball game. And then he walks out into the mall when he realizes that it's much later and no one has come back. And the mall is completely empty. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And he hears yelling and he runs down to the first story of the mall or the first level. And there's these like faceless ghouls in uh, suits holding the girl from earlier. And she says, you have to get my throne, which the music box that she was there to pick up was this little throne. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, it becomes apparent that they're in some sort of real life video game. Each level of the mall is a different level in the game, and the game ends when the girl is crowned princess amongst her throne. And um, the faceless ghouls can only be harmed by water. And I'm trying to remember some of the other tropes. I haven't seen the episode in years, but there, as a big video game fan, I absolutely loved it, and I love pinball. But at the end of the episode, he wins the game. He defeats all the bad guys. He, you know, gets the girl, quote unquote, and she sits in the throne and he crowns her and then everything resets and he's back on the first floor of the empty mall. And he's like, what? Why am I still here? I won. And then all of a sudden at the top of the escalator rolls a pinball up to the edge of the escalator like it's gonna roll down the handrails yeah and he and then he looks up and through the glass ceiling in the mall is the store owner and he goes i told you not to touch the game and now you can enjoy all the free games you want forever oh that's awesome (laughs) that's awesome i love it i actually just kind of got goosebumps when you're retelling that one because i forgot how good that episode was Oh, it was a great episode, and it it wasn't as scary as some of the other episodes are. It was yeah. very, um, it was very action packed, but it wasn't as creepy as a lot of the episodes. Yeah, were. like the the tales of the water people, where you had the zombies, or the lost boy, or the one with the boy that drowns in the river, mm-hmm. or the one with the freaking clown under the bed. Oh, or the yeah. clown <laughs> under the bed. Yep, yep. <laughs> well, um. I'd say my probably my favorite episode uh, I alluded to earlier was Tale of Laughing in the Dark, which was the uh, the debut of Zebo the Clown. 
Um, and it was kind of a dark story for for this particular one. So the the story is these two kids are going into a I think it's brothers are going into a haunted house uh, called Laughing in the Dark. And when they're going in, they're talking about this Zebo the Clown and the urban legend or whatever in the town or the the big thing is you're supposed to go and steal Zebo's nose and of course most people chicken out well in the episode the person uh, the the main character uh goes and he actually steals the nose and then they get home and their parents are missing and there's a cigar like a smoldering cigar in the uh, in the house, or it smells like Back cigars. Back when you could smoke on children's TV shows, yeah, 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 or just indoors in general, <laughs> yeah. So, so the um, then they like talk to some other people and they find out the backstory. And the backstory of this character called Zebo is that he was a clown uh, in the circus back in the 1920s, and he stole four thousand dollars from the payroll. And the police uh, came after him, and he ran into the Laughing in the Dark haunted house. And while he was in there, the police, I think, started the place on fire and burned him alive. What? Like, wow. That's As you do. Super dark for a kid's show. How else do you get him out of the building? I mean, I'm not going into the creepy building to find a creepy clown. The creepy clown's coming to us. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, so then, of course, like any good horror story, he now haunts or his ghost haunts uh, laughing in the dark. And if you steal his nose, he's going to come after you. And so wow. uh, the you know stuff keeps getting worse and worse for the two siblings that are getting chased after him. And so finally they take the nose back and they give it back and Zebo leaves him alone. Um, so that's the intro to him. And man, was it creepy. Uh, and just a great way to introduce that character. Although it it's kind of like a mix dark. of Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. It and Hellfest. Absolutely. So, yeah. Nightmare on Elm Street, it and Hellfest. Like it's just ugh. Mm hmm. <laughs> all the creepy things that you can imagine all ha- happening at once. Yeah. Um, yep. Yeah, actually, that was exactly what I thought of when I was looking back at the episode uh, when you mentioned it was uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. It felt very much like Freddy Krueger where they burned him alive in the boiler room. <laughs> yep. 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 Um, some other ones that I really liked, there was the Tale of the Super Specs, which was the first appearance of Sardo. Uh, Sardo, sorry. Uh, there was the tale of the hungry hounds, which was really creepy. Uh, the girl, uh, the girl gets possessed, and she has to feed these hounds in order to like become un uh, unpossessed again and stuff. Uh, tale of the pinball wizard, as we mentioned earlier. Tale of the final wish, uh, which was the one featuring Bobcat Goldthwait. Uh and then tale of the phone police. I I very distinctly remember. And, of course, Tale of Cutter's Treasure. Yeah. And then Tale of the Dream Police, which starred Cheap Trick. Yeah. <laughs> Dream Police, they're coming to your hotel. Um, yeah. Um, but the other, uh, I, I did double check this, and uh, Ryan Gosling was, in fact, on Goosebumps, too. Nice. Um, so he was nice. on the uh, Say Cheese and Die episode, so probably one oh. of the most popular Goosebumps books that existed. Yeah, so, that was, like, one um, of the first episodes, right? Yeah, like second or third, because the first one was uh, the haunted mask yep. um, that they premiered on like Halloween or whatever. But yep. 
Very cool. Yeah, that that uh, that's quite the interesting little factoid there. Yeah, so he was on both. He was never on Erie, Indiana, though. So Uh, I guess he missed that one. (laughs) (laughs) Also a Canadian show. He missed out on the trifecta. I guess I didn't realize that it was a Canadian show. A Canadian show about Erie, Indiana, huh? Wow. Well, without going too far into Erie, Indiana, because I hope that comes up someday, Erie, Indiana was produced and aired in Canada and had been canceled like two years before it aired in the U.S. And it got stupid popular, which is why season two, The Other Dimension, is a whole new cast of people. Because oh. <laughs> all the other actors had moved on and the production on the show had been shut down because it was canceled two years before it ever aired in the U.S. <laughs> nice. Wow. Nice. Uh, well, that's kind of all the main stuff I want to talk about. Are there any things you guys wanted to talk about before we wrap up today? I think I, I think I'm good. I think I declare this meeting of the Midnight Society closed. Awesome. <laughs> you wanted to say it? So I declared this meeting of the Midnight Society closed. Ooh. Yeah. So I guess now... We're going to have to move on. What are we moving on to, guys? Uh, so, yes, I have devised a trivia question for my co-host to answer. Whoever is closest will get to lead their chat next week. Paul has Dr. Mario, and Brian has TLC. Awesome. The uh, music group, not not the channel. Oh, I thought we were talking about the tables, <laughs> ladders, and chairs match. I thought Brian was about to beat, oh. <laughs> beat Dr. Mario down with the, ta- with the table. I was just letting people know, do not expect us to talk about Honey Boo Boo, so that, that's all I was trying to say. <laughs> what about this old house, Brian? Oh, wait, that's PBS. <laughs> All right, so uh, my trivia question I've devised. Uh, As we mentioned, there were quite a few different members of the Midnight Society uh, in the original group, about uh, eight eight or so. Um, Out of those, Betty Ann was the one that told the most stories from the original Midnight Society. How many of the tales did she tell? Hmm. Well, let's see. There was... The first run had 65 episodes, and then it came back for the final two seasons. She wouldn't have been in those. So I'm going to go with 16. Okay. I am going to go with 13. Oh, Brian got the closest. She actually told 12 of the tales. Oh, nice. Yes. Uh, the, the bonus question I had, just in case we needed it, was how many episodes aired in the original two, uh, uh, se- not seasons, but the two original casts, I guess, of the show. So between 91 and 2000, how many episodes were there? I think it was, well, let's see. There were 65 in the original run, and then they got renewed after a two-year hiatus, and they were usually 13 episode seasons. So 
I, I can't do math, Brian. I was punting to you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I wasn't listening. <laughs> I was I was getting my notes up for the hopper. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm going to say 100 and we'll just go with that. Close. It was 91. 91 in the year. Yeah. I knew it wouldn't be exact. I just I th- like. I think like 26 plus 65. Come on, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's uh, I think the number is now up to 94 after the three uh, mini series episodes that they ran last year. Gotcha. Gotcha. Which is on it's a Netflix original, actually. So Nickelodeon is produced re- all the Nickelodeon specials are now Netflix. Ooh. They're going straight to Netflix, like the Rocco's Modern Life movie. Wow. And um What's the Invader Zim and Are You Afraid of the Dark, which will be coming back in 2020 at some point. Or that's awesome. More likely 2021 at this point, but that's true. Yeah, that's that's cool. I'm going to have to check those out. I uh, was actually wondering where to watch those. So what? All right. Well, that that uh, does it for our my question. Well, there you have it. Brian will be gra- guiding us through the music triumvirate of TLC oh, next time. The triumvirate. That's a 10 cent right. word right there. <laughs> well, Brian, used to li- Brian used to like to write it in the script when we would talk about <laughs> it. And I think he just did it because I could never say the word correctly. Kind of like how I can't add numbers when there's people staring at me, even though you're in different houses. So... Paul, Paul can't read that word, but he can close his eyes and see the word and then say it. So <laughs> Yes, that is 100% correct. <laughs> and our loser, me, still Ooh. has Dr. Mario. <laughs> and now it's time to visit our old friend, the Hopper of Imagination, to get Adam a new topic. That's me. So we want to remind all of our listeners that if there's a topic you'd like to hear us discuss, you can submit those at www.datingourselvespodcast.com. Okay, so um, as always, I have three topics selected. Um, They are of three different categories, so I will let Adam know those three categories. He'll let me know which category is of most interest to him, which tickles his fancy the most, Uh, and then I will um, assign him the topic from there. How does that sound, Adam? Let's do it. All right, so your categories are Board games, food and beverage, or pop culture. Alright, so pop culture, board game, food and beverage. Those are the same options in a different order. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think I'm going to go with the culture of popness. Alright, you have selected the 80s musical Phantom of the Opera. Oh, wow. yeah! Let's go! Let's go, son! <laughs> so that is super exciting. Well, wonderful. Well, that's our episode this week, guys. Thanks for joining us on Dating Ourselves. Be sure to check in in two weeks when I will be leading a discussion on TLC and then future episodes where Paul will be leading 
a topic on Dr. Mario, and Adam could be leading a topic on the Phantom of the Opera. Yes. Thanks again, guys. Take care. And before I go into my next little bit, I promised that I would read something in Bobcat Goldthwait's uh, voice, so let me see if I can do this. I'm probably going to embarrass myself terribly, but here we go. I lost my job. Well, I didn't lose it. I know where it is. There's just some other guy doing it now. (laughs) (laughs) So there you go. That's my Bobcat Goldthwait, and I'm sticking to it. If you liked everything else that you heard, not the Bobcat Goldthwait production, uh, then there's more to come. Uh, there will be no more Bobcat Goldthwait. <laughs> but there probably uh, will be more Vince McMahon, so... Yeah, oh, yes! <laughs> Always Vinnie Mac! <laughs> so ch- <laughs> you can check us out at www.datingourselvespodcast.com to learn more about us and the show. And you can check out our Contact Us tab if you'd like to submit your own nostalgic topics. You can also send us your submissions at datingourselvespodcast at aol.com. We've got, got mail. mail. In addition to iTunes, you can also find us on TuneIn Radio, Google Music, and wherever podcasts are downloaded. Please be sure to like and subscribe so you don't miss any of the throwbackion. Ow! ow. We post additional Ooh. content on Facebook at facebook.com slash datingourselvespodcast. If you're on Instagram, you can find us at datingourselvespodcast, and we do the Twitter thing too, at datedpodcast. And remember, if you're too old for Snapchat and too young for Life Alert, you've just been dating. See ya. Bye. Bye, guys.